Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. It is Series 10 episode 19, uh, the Wednesday the 6th of May. I'm John Hindhoff, live from Hindhoff Towers. Isn't it great to start a show in daylight? It really is. And up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Hello Tim. Hello John. Boy, well I'm tonight? Loud, aren't I? <laughs> I did say that earlier. Uh, yes, um, I'm feeling good. Uh, a few uh, apologies for uh, absence here. Uh, D Perk 29 says, uh, I'm going to miss it this week. I don't agree with my EOP. It slowed me down and I can't compete. Alex uh, Orkin says, uh, Chaps and Chapesses can't be here. Composites in France this week. Shh. And uh, uh, Darren Cox, uh, he's in Bowling Green, Kentucky with three Nismo uh, LM, uh, sorry, GT RLMs uh, on the track which is very nice uh, and Ollie Gavin is there as well at the same place but he's testing a Corvette so he can't listen tonight either or at least uh, not uh, live and uh, also the Scatter uh, scatter Rally is keeping Matt Endine away and congratulations on your result Matt by the way a couple of weekends ago and Martin G. Webb says can't be there oh no I will be there tonight even though I have a penalty for my tyre crossing the line and in a shocking turn of events from Monterey, California, Kevin Brink will be listening to Midweek Motorsport live, live, live from home for the first time in 2015. But my favourite one, uh, well, favourite two this week, Craig Mace, can't listen live tonight, still working out the physics of how to get a P1 Porsche through a Marshalls post. And Harry Flatters, uh, apologies for absence, I'm out canvassing the neighbourhood, urging, urging them to vote for Eduardo Freitas as Prime Minister. All very good this week. Uh, that's the house. Apologies for absence from uh, Nick Damon. Uh, we haven't. You've got very quiet to me now, to the point that I can't hear. So you need to turn better? off. Up. That's much better. There we go. Uh, have we had any apologies for absence from Nick Damon? No, we haven't. Uh, no, he's just disappeared. Do we know where he is? Yes. Is he competing in another event? Uh, no. Can you turn the bed down? Because I can't hear you over the bed. You need to turn yourself up to me much, much more. Because. Um, How about that? That's much better. Um, is he competing in another event? I, I hope not. Why do you ask? Well, we wouldn't want to have to fine him €5,000 and uh, then refer him to his national ASN. Mm. This is uh, this is relevant to one Aston Martin driver, is yes, it not? which we'll come on to in our top news story. But you haven't asked me a certain question yet. Uh, on a pack programme tonight, uh, we have what? Uh, we have... 
some of our usual features, but uh, by no means all of them. Uh, right. We don't have our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, so well, that means that, yeah. we can't do Formula One news. We don't have our MotoGP correspondent, uh, Nick, Damon, Nick Damon, which means we can't do MotoGP news. Uh, Formula One this weekend is where, John? Uh, it's in Spain. And MotoGP last week was where, John? MotoGP last week was uh, in Spain. Yes. Uh, so that would have provided an ideal opportunity for... News in Spanish? Yes. Mm. Well, we can't We're talk not. about either of them because we don't have the relevant correspondence. Okay, that seems reasonable. Uh, however, we do have... Uh, you need to turn your speakers down. I, I know Johnny's sitting there You can hear me listening. through the speakers. Okay. No, I can hear myself through the speakers. I know Johnny's sitting there swatting up for the weekend. He is. Uh, fantastic job by uh, Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones at the weekend. And Johnny Palmer and Sam Collins as well on the uh, Japanese Super GT on Sunday morning. An epic super endurance weekend here across the network, across the RSL network. Um, play the jingle and we'll introduce our first guest then. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and on the line we have from the headquarters, the supreme headquarters of uh, endurance, dailysportscar.com, S-H-A-D. Uh, ED, we have DailySportsCar.com's editor, Graham Goodwin. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. Um, have we mentioned uh, the listener who may or may not be listening, but has had a rather traumatic reason why not? Uh, uh, yes, this is uh, one of our listeners whose house burned down yesterday. Yes, Christopher Matthews. Uh, well, I hope you are listening, Christopher. And uh, thoughts are with you, mate. That's an awful thing to happen. Uh, good evening to you. Um, and our first story then, uh, it, it, we've got a lot of sports car news tonight, including a couple of exclusives, or at least should, one exclusive. Shall we start with, uh, shall we start with the 5,000 euro fine and referral to, uh, this is other, very other bodies for, uh, turning up as an event, not racing and by doing so missing another event. Yes. Okay. Uh, what, what are we talking about Nicky team here? No, no we're talking about, uh, Johnny Adam. Oh, Johnny Adam. This is very interesting, um, uh, very interesting, Graham, because what, as we know at the weekend, Johnny Adam um, was drafted into the squad at Aston Martin Racing in Spa and uh, because one of his teammates potentially had an injury, wasn't it? It was was Christopher Nygaard had uh, hurt his back but was feeling better in some of the race than to run it. Um, as a two-man squad, which allowed Johnny to leave Spa and go back and compete in British GT, which was his original program. Uh, I must admit, I mis- misread that. I thought they were talking about Nicky T, who's a full-season entrant, uh, opting to go and race in Carrera Cup Deutschland. Obviously, it's the same car, but so it's not Nicky that the phone would be going to. It would be Johnny. That seems a bit odd, if you ask me. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a mistake on the behalf of Aston Martin Racing um, that has cost themselves 5,000 uh, euros. I'm sure they won't ask Johnny to to pay that, but he was um, he was listed in the car as backup. I'm not sure, Graham, if he even took to the track, did he? Uh, I think, no, it, uh, no, that's a good question. I think he did. I think he ran in the practice session, but uh, the by the time we'd asked the question, he was never going to run any further than free practice anyway. Uh, so all a bit odd that one. Um, I, I, to my mind, it makes perfect sense if you've got uh, an opportunity um, to actually put a driver in in case uh, an injured driver is not capable of fulfilling 
is full of race commitments. That just strikes me as common sense. Fair enough, you know, I don't like to second guess the decisions of the race officials, but uh, it does strike me as being a bit of an odd one. Uh, not the only odd one over the weekend, but uh, well, it does strike me as being an odd one. There was another fine. Uh, to 23 to... different penalties uh, given out during that WEC race, Graham. Tw- how many? 23. Uh, and that, so the 5,000 wasn't the biggest either. Uh, oh, that, the biggest would have been for Ben Watt anyway. That was €10,000 for not doing exactly what he was told at the end of the race, basically. Uh, yep, yeah, um, and I gather it wasn't just as simple as not uh, following the instructions on the screen afterwards, that they were briefed through the race director's notes, and Benoit, after taking the flag, completed another full lap, so passed the chequered flag twice, which, it has to be said, in almost every bit of racing that I've ever covered, is completely verboten. Yes, uh, and it's a long circuit, so it, it's all... Um, I mean, the problem is there could have been anything going on on the circuit, I suppose. And it's a very quiet car, John. Well, that is... A, actually, that, Graham, is another very good point. Um, I'm sure that Benoit was caught up in the moment, and I don't I'm think... I'm sure. That, that no, there no, no, a, there's there's no, was, no. There was nothing uh, no intent. No, no, exactly. Uh, but you I, know, but once, once you've missed the, the pit entry or the pit exit in this instance, you've missed it. Um, but uh, that's a shame. But hopefully, it doesn't take the uh, the shine for him off what was uh, an absolutely outstanding race again. Two 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 in a row. In fact, three in a row. If you include Brazil, which um, at the end of the 2014 season I thought was the best six-hour race I'd ever seen, mm. and we've now had two other contenders for that title. Um, outstanding stuff. Uh, uh, that was the probably the only mistake that Benoit made across the weekend with his teammates and. With Lena Gade, once again, why did I even consider that she didn't know exactly what was happening? But the numbers at the end don't lie. Two hours on one set of Michelin tyres, which was two stints and a little over ten laps, which, well, nobody had done those long runs, Graham, to, to be able to, for us at least, to be able to look at that situation and say... The tyre wear is going to be okay. So that was that was a decision that was made either on the fly or made from information that was already in the hands of Audi, and it effectively won them the race because, from what looked like a conservative decision from Lena Gid, waiting to see what Porsche did, they then knew that they could get to the end of the race without any issues on those tyres. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it goes to show again the level of preparation that uh, people put into this and in particular the factory teams and let's face it in particular Audi they are absolute masters and in the case of Lena mistress of all the data what a stunning job they've done with that uh, that new spec car I tend to agree with you John I can't really see a reason with the tracks we've got left to come why you would uh, go back to what we already thought was a massive step forward with the original Silverstone spec car but uh, if they were compromising uh, in that uh, in that Le Mans spec car, I absolutely couldn't see where it was quite sparkling. By the way, uh, informed by Sam Smith, thank you very much indeed, Sam, that uh, that uh, Johnny did indeed do 16 laps and was quicker than Marcus Sorensen in free practice too. Okay, uh, and just for those of you ch- tuning in late, Sarah Rigby, come on, you know. Uh, did she did she give a note from her mum for actually arriving late? She she was. Um she was on the phone call to her mother-in-law. No, uh, Johnny no, Adam was fined 5,000 euros for not 
not for not racing particularly when he was named in the car, but for racing elsewhere when he was named in the car. So he went back to the UK. He raced on Sunday in British GT because he was not required because Christopher Nygaard um, healed up. Um, and his his ribs weren't such a problem. He was there, let's not forget, just to reiterate, there was a worry that Nygaard might not be able to race, and therefore Johnny Adam, presumably Graham, would have done um, the whole race and, and been withdrawn from the, the British GT car. That, that, as I understand it, was exactly the plan. It was He was there as a kind of as a potential stand-in should he be required. But uh, that's the kind of rule that that does kind of add another level, doesn't it, to the strategic decisions that teams might have to take in the future. Uh, I'm I'm not massively happy with that. I I think they were trying to to be sensible. um, It's an FIA regulation. Yeah. It's an an FIA regulation. The, The issue will be for me, and let's hope that common sense prevails here, Five thousand euros. Okay, I'm sure. As I said, I'm sure John Gore will be digging into the fighting fund of Aston Martin Racing for that. But it's being referred to the SNs of both Belgium and of the UK. And what I wouldn't like to see is any sanction being taken on certainly not Johnny because he's a works driver and he's doing as he's told. That's what he's told. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I mean, what would you want them to do? What? I'm sorry, we're going to withdraw the car because we haven't got a driver for it. It does seem a bit odd. I mean, uh, it's unusual for a driver to be called up who has another potential programme, but not, I'd have thought, unique. No. Um, but uh, I don't know. It strikes me that perhaps the reference they might want to make is to their own regulation there uh, as to whether or not that's altogether correct in a sporting sense. That's what the regulations are supposed to be there for. Can't believe a single other competitor would have complained about it. No, indeed. Um, anyway, let's move on to uh-huh. let's move on to the rest of the race. We've mentioned Audi and the number seven car doing the business. Um, if Porsche were slightly disappointed to come second and third, although as I said to Mark Webber in the press conference afterwards, um, if I'd asked you when the car was being rebuilt after the incident, we'll talk about that in a moment, you'd have snatched my hand off for third place. He said, yes, of course, they would have. Um, the Achilles heel of the Porsche, certainly in the sprint race, is still the relative inability to get them to run two stints or a full two stints at least at pace. Mark Lee had to bring the... Uh, the second place car in very early, eight laps early, on one set of tyres. And that is hobbling them at the moment, particularly in the six-hour races, where, let's not forget, you only get 26 tyres. Uh, it, it is, and it could be yet another uh, opportunity for us to be number-crunching come the Le Mans 24 hours, of course. And yeah. um, I just think it adds another level, John. It adds another level. We're not just talking about pace. We're not just talking about how the cars are on fuel uh, and on tyres. We're talking about just a whole... I mean, I, you know what? Working data centre must be going into overdrive at the moment, uh, you know, ahead of the uh, Le Mans 24 hours. Um, Paul Trussell has promised me uh, a pre-Le Mans analysis of where we've been in terms of relative pace of the, the current factory teams that are um, you know, that have been, been racing thus far um, ahead of Le Mans. And I think it's going to make fascinating reading. It really has been just a thoroughly enthralling and engaging 12 hours of racing so far. Um, before we leave Porsche and Audi, the, uh, I suppose, brothers in arms in terms of their uh, linkage through the Volkswagen uh, Audi group, uh, we've got to talk um, a little bit about the car that wasn't on the Le Mans 
setup. That new front end, the Hammerhead front end on the 7 and 8 car seemed to work very well. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't think there's any need necessarily to go back to that if it worked so well. Um, but the 9 car looked awful uh, all weekend. And then we had that bizarre incident when Marco Bananomi was driving that blew out the left-hand side window. It, whether that was an, part of the instability, part of it being shaken around, uh, the I termed it the porpoise and the air uh, for that one. Oh, that's a that's a picture caption if ever I uh, heard one. Um, it, it just that car never looked happy at all. It didn't, and uh, I was interested in listening and reading uh, Mills and Mike's explanation of it. I think only happening at very high speeds, so anything above 240 clicks uh, for that car where the porpoising was coming in place. But I don't know. It, 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 it seemed to be a the net result of the compromises they built into uh, that car to compete at Spa. But uh, again, if you recall, we had, you know, a, a different but not dissimilar kind of effect. They were laterally, if you remember, in the number eight car mm. at Le Mans, at, um, at Silverstone. And it does seem to be that that car has got something of an aerodynamic sweet spot. And if you get it wrong, uh, then it's a thoroughly unpleasant thrill, thrill ride for the drivers. And uh, yeah, that window blowing out in the Kemmel Strait must have given uh, Mark Bononomi quite a shock. What did uh, what did uh, Mike say? What did Mulzan um uh, I'd, I'd have to look at. I think he's, he he observed, if I'm right, um, it, that it was uh, it was high speed oscillation. It was yes. high speed port. Yes. And that that was only really coming in over about 240 kilometres an hour. Yeah. Uh, we saw 311, 312 clicks yep. from the Porsches down the Camel Street. If the Volkswagen Audi Group entrants were relatively happy with the weekends, I'm afraid Toyota would not have been. It was. Uh, a, or an event for them to forget entirely. First of all, you had Nakajima piling into the back of uh, uh, Ollie Jarvis uh, in the very, very bad weather conditions early on in the week. Uh, that necessitated the number uh, one car being completely rebuilt on a new tub. It also has put Nakajima out with a broken vertebrae. And you've got some news from Ant Davison today about Nakajima's condition. Well, I think the answer is it was always that it's going to be highly unlikely that uh, that uh, Kaz was going to be back in time for the Mans 24 hours. It's it's less than 40 days and uh, 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 you know to, to go now, um, you know until we the cars actually hit the track. Uh, and but I think the reality is it's not going to be a quick heel. Um, I'm pretty certain that it's going to be Kimi Kobayashi aboard the car. Nothing fully decided yet is what uh, Ant Davidson was telling uh, Stephen Kilby at uh, at Spa. Um, but they're going to have to make the call very soon. My guess will be that we're going to see Kirill Kobayashi aboard that car. Therefore, he's going to need a fair amount of the testing mileage aboard that car. That compromises them even more, of course, in their preparation for the Le Mans 24 hours because we don't really have much information as to how much time uh, Kobayashi has actually done aboard a Toyota yet. Uh, aside from all of that, John, I think they were generally, genuinely rattled by what they saw and experienced at Spa. Here's um, a question, Graham. Here's a question. Yeah. The best of the Toyotas um, was, I think, three laps down. I didn't really see it have a problem. I mean, no. so no. S- six hours, just not to have the pace in six hours, to lose three laps. I mean, 
that is almost the sort of gaps we were looking at not so very long ago at some of the privateer cars against against the the works cars. Well, I'll I'll there's a uh, I'm putting together one of my uh, rather long-winded by the numbers stories <laughs> for Spa. Um, I believe I'm correct that Spa is the first time in 14 races that Toto have not finished on the podium. Right. Uh, now that right, goes right. to show the, the the level of progress that's been made elsewhere, and I think that's the point. What if you speak to, and I know you know we both do, speak to anybody in a position of authority that will offer an opinion at Toyota, they will tell you that we've made quite a leap this year, but nothing like the leap that the other two factory teams have made. And uh, my guess is gonna, there's going to be an awful lot of number crunching going on right now uh, that shade Toyota. They have clearly taken a conservative view we said that at the launch and so did they uh, at the of the 2015 spec um tso 40 uh, and i think they've made a wrong turn i think they've guessed wrong i think they thought that um the uh, the early running would see uh, potential problems emerging for the other two factory teams at le mans um they're going to be i think pretty reliant on porsche not being any slower, but hitting trouble. Well, the, the, um, the thing about Le Mans is, of course, we've only seen Audi's Le Mans spec cars. We are yet to see what the aerodynamicists at both um, Weissach and at Cologne have got up their sleeves. It'll be the new offer hybrid or something. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it, the, the pace of acceleration here, um, let's let's make no bones about it. All right, it was a little bit damp at times last year at, at Spa, but seven seconds improvement from the Audi oh, yeah. from oh, last yeah. year. Um, Absolutely astonishing stuff. And, and you, know, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens for the remainder of this season, John, I'll say this much. To, to stand and be allowed to talk about what we were seeing there is already a career highlight for me. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous racing of the highest order. And fabulous no, not sports car racing, fabulous racing. racing. Yes. Um, the, uh, and fabulous racing all the way through the field um, th- that was not ignored. That would be the wrong thing to say. Difficult to fit in would be <laughs> the other... Um, the uh, the whole, I mean, both the GT categories were great. We'll come on to those in a second. LMP2, a, a, another happy hunting ground for Jota. I think four podiums in five uh, outings there for Simon Dolan and Jota, twice in a row now that they've won. And the for me, one of the drives of the weekend from Mitch Evans, who was debuting oh, yeah. in a sports car and debuting at uh, the... FIA World Endurance Championship, drove absolutely stunningly, got the honour of bringing the car home. I caught up with Mitch earlier on this week down in Tring at the Espresso Lounge on Tring High Street for his thoughts on what had happened at the weekend and how he saw his debut in top-class sports cars had gone. It was a bit unexpected, to be honest. Um... The weekend was pretty tricky, I think, for all categories, especially with the weather conditions and and um, the, the lack of dry running. Um, we seemed to be competitive in, in both conditions, especially in the wet. We were, you know, especially with the, you know compared to the other Dunlop um, LMP2 cars that, that run the Dunlop tyre, we were really good. Um, and then come 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 to the dry, we were competitive again. So and they just sort of stick throughout throughout the race. Our race pace seemed really strong. 
um, which made my life a lot easier and, and I was able to pull out a massive gap in my first stint and and um, give some bit of breathing space for his stint. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a bit mind-blowing to be honest, just one by the gap that we won by and, and, and two, you know, obviously the an experience I've got with this, this sort of racing. You, you always have an idea of how it's going to, how it's going to be with the traffic, but it's always a bit different to, uh, to when you're actually in the car, um, trying to trying to fight through the the GT cars. Let's talk about the learning process. Then that's a that's a good point you've made there. You come from a single seater background, where yes, you're overtaking, yes, you're battling, but you haven't got GT cars and you haven't got P1 cars either. No, exactly. And uh, actually, I found the the P1. Um, you know, situation in terms of them approaching you so quickly, probably you know quite tough, especially when there's when they're quite close together. Um, at one point, I had, I think both both Toyotas and, and a Porsche right behind me through going through pull one, so that that sort of stuff is just um, you know you, you can't really prepare yourself for that. So <laughs> and you, then we had a GT car in the mix with that. So um, I guess the best way is just to um, it's track knowledge in terms of finding the best way to pass and where to sort of back off so you can get a run on the GT cars or whatever, or get out of the way for the P1 cars so you're not losing as much time. So that helped, you know, I've done a lot of laps around Spa, so that, that really helped. Um, for Le Mans, it's going to be different because I've never been there before, so it's, it's going to be another, you know, learning process. But um, by the end of the race, I was quite happy with, with um, the passing and, and the traffic and and just, you know, trying to, trying to lose as the little amount of time as um, as you can because it's um, it's so critical with us. Looks in, the P1 cars look impressive when we're watching on the TV or standing trackside. What does it look like when they're going past you and you're driving the wheels off your P2 car? It's quite it's quite bizarre because um, you know with the P1 car we're actually quite similar in the corners. It's quite it's quite strange because the aero packages. Okay, it's not the same, but you know, it's it's a very similar way that, that the arrow works. Um, but they just get us out of the corners and down the straight. Where with the GT stuff, we're so much faster in the corners, but down the straight, we're actually quite similar. So <laughs> it's 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 a bit different between the two categories. But um, the LMP1 cars are super super impressive. You know, I've been I was mind blowing with, especially you know, you can sort of see them on TV. They look spectacular, but. When you're driving the wheels off what you've got, and then they just come flying past you <laughs> at you know 300k an hour, it's um it's pretty cool, and they just look superb on track. They look very very futuristic, and um, obviously all the hybrid technology is very very fitting. The other thing, of course, that you've had to get used to, you haven't a share single seater drivers, Formula drivers. Yes, you have a teammate, but he's the first guy you've got to beat, and in some ways, that can make you selfish, and, and rightly so. You can't have that when you're part of a three-man driving team. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really unusual for me um, to share a car with two other guys. Fortunately, you know, I was, I was in great company with Simon and Harry. Um, it was a pleasure to work with both of them. Um, but it, it is different, you know. We do have a lot of testing, but since you've got to share all that testing amongst, you know, three drivers, you do get limited testing at the end of the day. Um, and it's always a compromise of setup. You know, um, seat position. You're never completely happy, I guess, because you can't tune it to your driving style. But <laughs> it's the same for them. Um, get used to it. It's get used to it, exactly. <laughs> you, you can't really complain about it. So, yeah, that, that has been a bit unusual. But um, again, it's just another part of the learning curve to to get your head around. Um, and it's you know, it's quite it's quite cool. You know, doing a doing a stint, getting out, and the car's still going around, and 
and the- how did you find that? Because that again is something that you're not normally used to seeing someone else take your car away and continue in the race. Um, I guess you got more responsibility because when you're in the car, you're sort of representing the whole team and and other drivers. Um, but to be honest, I probably found it more nervous out of the car. Just you just it's just the way with endurance racing, and it's going to be ten times worse with the Le Mans. <laughs> You've got no control when you're out there, and as we know with racing, anything can happen, mechanical issues, you know, incidents on the track or whatever, you've got absolutely no control about. So I think that's quite nerve-wracking, and, and it was funny, you know, with Harry, he was, when he was not in the car, he was, you could see he was really anxious about it because we're doing so well, but you, need, you just know at any moment something can happen, um, especially if you see with the LMP1 cars, when, you know, when the reliability is not, not going so well, so... Um, yeah, it was different, but, you know, it was, again, you just prepare for it and, and accept the fact that you're not going to be in the car. And um, Yeah, but it's it's um, it's a cool way of racing for sure. Tell me about the team. How's the experience been? It's been fantastic, honestly. Like, it's really it's really blown me away. Um, I've never, to be completely honest with you, up until, um, you know, this year, I've never really been... I've followed LMP2 heavily as as much as I probably would be now, obviously. Um, so I never really knew the level of, of how professional the teams were, how organised they were. And when I did my first test in Aragon, um, which was quite a while back now, but I was blown away with how slick the operation was. And if you think about it, they have to be. You know, just the endurance racing side, is, you've got to be very, very onto it with everything. There's so many different aspects you have to... You have to have a ride. And, um, you know, that sort of showed over the race with the team. You know, they were just on to everything. Um, we were so good on the tyres. So from an engineering point of view, they were very good. But from the pit stops, they were, you know, very slick. We were winning time with that. Yeah, I mean, behind the scenes, they're just a great bunch of guys as well, um, which is which is always really nice. And they've made you feel welcome, clearly, within the whole setup. You know, Sam and David Clark and Simon, they've done a terrific job um, in terms of making me feel welcome. Um, but all the mechanics, you know, from the, you know, from the truckie right up to the engineers, they've all been fantastic. Um, and there's a very, very positive energy and vibe in the team, which is so, so crucial, especially when you go to tracks like and races like Le Mans, when you've got to spend so much time together. Um, you know, I've seen a number of teams that I've raced for, you know... Um, a bit of negative, negative vibes, and it's and it, it has a huge impact. But with with this endurance racing, everyone's going to be stuck together. It's a big family, and um, they've definitely uh, you know done that well so far. Quick question about the machinery. All of your early career has been in single seat racing cars. You've come up a very what I would call a traditional route. Do you feel that you've been able to use your single seater experience in a positive way to translate? across to the P2? No, I think so, for sure. Just, um, it's, it's, it's hard to understand, actually, the level of downforce the P2 car has because you're sort of lost a bit with LMP1 cars being the most spectacular, which they are, but the level of downforce that we have in the P2 car is actually quite big. So coming from GB2, GB3, you know, single-seater backgrounds, um, that has really helped. You know, I, I could see it be, it'd be more difficult for someone like Simon who's come from a GT background um, that's never experienced aero because the cars are 
stuck to the ground and to, to absolutely optimize that it takes you know some coconuts but it takes experience you know what I mean um, to to be able to for your brain to realize that this car is going to sound the track so um, that's really helped it, my single seater experience with that and um, it's like a it's honestly like a big F3 car you know the power the power to aero um, yeah but the, you know I was really impressed with how nimble the cars are and and um, yeah they're, they're really really good to drive next time out it's Le Mans you got the test day which is a whole day but that goes over quickly particularly when you've got three drivers looking forward to it first of all oh, I can't wait you know a number of people have told you know have, have said to me you know the you can't really believe it until you drive out the pits for the first time um, and you know that's what I'm expecting and I think it's just there's so many things about Le Mans that makes it so special but you know the track itself how long it is um, and to be able to nail every corner you know you don't you come past it every three and a half minutes yes. where a normal circuit you come past it maybe around you know two minutes is a long track like like, like Spa um, but three minutes three and a half minutes is a long time before you get, that, get back to that corner again and you th- realise you know in terms of references and all that sort of stuff so having experience around there is so critical and, and hopefully with with um, you know, experience from the team and, and obviously from Mark last year I can sort of pick their brains and fast forward that process um, but I just can't wait to get out there for the test and, and, and have a skit around there and then prepare ourselves for the, for the big one Make sure you enjoy it take some time out to take it all in oh, I, I, I can't wait you know, I can't. I'm excited to, you know, for the whole experience you know, the whole week there you know, apparently it's really, it's massively hectic, you know, especially in the start of the week, and um, you know, keeping focused and, and keeping energy levels up for the race. So there's so many aspects that you need to get right, and um, it's going to be a massive challenge. But you know, it's the same for everyone, and I just can't wait to take it on. That's Mitch Evans at the. Espresso Lounge on Tring High Street with me on uh, Tuesday of this week. Yesterday, in fact, sorry. Uh, Yes, it was yesterday. Uh, And funny enough, at the end of that conversation, Richie Stanaway wandered in and Marino Franchitti gets in there as well. And Aaron and the rest of the staff down there were lovely. The porridge with blueberries uh, was very good indeed. Uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, is with us. And as we look back on that drive... Uh, that is a young man who quite clearly still wants to go to Formula One, still holds that dream. That has become more and more difficult for him. And this is more than a tour in the water then for a little bit of sports car experience. He's trying to broaden his horizons here, and that was a very good calling card at the weekend. Uh, wasn't it just very impressive? And uh, please, you mentioned Richie Stanaway. I don't... I mean, uh, one for the collective, actually. Uh, have we ever had a more successful overall result for Kiwis in endurance race, two class wins and a class podium um, for the Kiwi yeah, trio. Hartley, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's not forget Earl Bamber in there as well. Didn't get the result, but Earl's in there as well. Uh, yes, he was uh, absolutely. So cracking stuff by all. But no, I was massively impressed, not just with the result, but the way he carried himself all weekend. Uh, got it immediately uh, in terms of the look and feel of a WEC paddock. And um, I think it's been a great addition to the Joe Sport team. And you're right, John, the calling card is a great way of explaining it. Uh, I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see Mitch back at some point. 
Uh, the one thing that we don't have in terms of the Jota jigsaw, in fact, it's going to be announced at nine o'clock uh, this evening, I believe, is the twenty-five minutes away. Well, yes, is the the identity of the third driver. I can't imagine that. Well, oh, well the thing, thing is, the thing is, though, the thing is, though, they keep it just so tightly down. I mean, uh, you know, Jota's PR man, that. known to be. You get that, Tim known to be uh, absolutely ironclad, not going to allow any leaks whatsoever of that information. So there's no chance anybody's going to find out before 9 o'clock. John, uh, yes, it's the... not Dish Network. It's not Dish Network, no. is it? It's someone claiming to be a Jota driver. <laughs> it's not Simon Dolan again, is it? <laughs> it's not, not Simon Dolan, I recognise Simon uh, hang, Dolan. Hang on then. Hey, OK, we'll do this. This is not supposed to be coming out until 9 o'clock. This is exclusive on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, and who's calling the Midweek Motorsport Jota Driver Hotline? Hello, Harvey, of course. That makes perfect sense. Welcome back to Jota Fallamon, a place that is must hold very happy memories for you. Yeah, definitely. It's um, uh, a team that I've enjoyed racing within the, the last couple of seasons in uh, when the European Le Mans series and then also at Le Mans the past two seasons and uh, last year to um, get the last minute call up and to end up on the top stuff of the podium and, and to win uh, at Le Mans was um, a very special moment. You were the archetypal super sub last year, drafted in this year under under different but not dissimilar uh, situations. Have you had a little bit more time to to prepare with the team, Oliver? Yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah. Last year I was during the race week, so only literally on the Wednesday uh, got called up, so uh, had no time to really think about it or even prepare uh, for the race. So. Uh, this year, at least, uh, I've had had, had a, you know a month now till the race, so um, seems uh, seems like a lot more time to prepare and, and and get ready with the team. And at least I'll have time to make a seat this time. Yes, good point. Have you had an opportunity to drive the the revised car now a Gibson, of course? Uh, I haven't. No, uh, it's um, I I actually haven't driven the car since um, Le Mans last year when I crossed the finish line. So that was the last time I drove the car and. Uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back in the car. I've heard heard good things, and that the car's improved now, um, uh, running as a Gibson. So, uh, really looking forward to, to getting back out there and and to doing the Le Mans test day in uh, in a couple of weeks. Is that the first time you'll be in the car, Oliver? Yes, that'll be the first time I'll uh, get to drive drive the car again. And uh, yeah, looking forward to working again with the team and and with Simon and Mitch. The the guys have started off the season very, very well, both in the European Le Mans series uh, and particularly with their now what is becoming a traditional pre-Le Mans outing at Spa, which has been very successful over the last few years for Simon uh, and yeah. for Jota. How important is that momentum for the team? Obviously, you're stepping into it, but how important is it for that positive momentum for the team heading towards Le Mans? Uh, no, it's, I mean it's, uh, they've had a very impressive um, start to the season, and uh, you know strong strong race at Silverstone, and then uh, to win at Spa um, obviously uh, is, is great preparation for Le Mans, and gives the whole team confidence. I think going into uh, a race like Le Mans, but it's you know it's such a tough race, a 24-hour race. It's uh, you know there's so much can happen, so it's um, you know uh, there's, a, there's a lot that we, you need to keep on top of. So. Yeah. You know, having the momentum is a great thing, but um, you still need to uh, do do everything to the best ability. There's a saying in motor racing that you're only as good as your last result. Um, your last result in this car was driving it across the line and winning LMP2 
in an almost fairy tale start. I think you were down in the low twenties uh, at one stage in the in the class. An amazing fight back. What have you been doing since Le Mans, and what driving, if any, have you been able to get in? Um, yeah, I mean, last year obviously it was a, an amazing race. Uh, we had a difficult start to the race, but um, and, and we were yeah towards the back of the MP2 field, but. Then we really just came on the charge all, all through the night and, and Sunday morning to um, come back through the field and to take the lead in the final final stint. So um, it was yeah a mega close race and a phenomenal race. But since then I've been um, been busy continuing my uh, test and development work with McLaren uh, with the Formula One team and uh, with McLaren Honda this year. Um, and then I'm also this season I'm racing in uh, Super GT with Honda. Uh, in Japan, so um, yeah, it's been uh, a very exciting um, race series to join and to be part of, and uh, you know they're great cars and the competition levels fantastic over there. And there's been many kind of successful sports car drivers that have raced in Japan, so mm. certainly somewhere that I uh, am enjoying racing and and hopefully learning and learning a lot and developing as a driver. So hopefully I can uh, be even stronger this year at Le Mans. The Super GT. Um, first of all, has a tyre war. So the pace of development of tyres in the Super GT series over in Japan is phenomenal. The sort of speeds and the kind of performance levels that those cars have are at a level or perhaps even higher than LMP2, not far off LMP1, actually. So it's, it's not like you haven't been doing some very competitive and some very relevant driving uh with what fuji was last weekend wasn't it yeah no it's um i mean the cars are phenomenal i mean the, the downforce they produce for a gt car is, is unbelievable so yeah they're certainly very quick cars and as you say um uh, not far off lmp1 lap time so it's um a great series to be part of and the development of the car and uh and it working with the engine uh, and the tyre development is, is very unique. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, big tyre war and always uh, testing different tyres. So that's, um, you know, something that I'm learning a lot from racing over there. So it's, um, yeah, a great series to be part of and um, one that, uh, you know, is helping me, I think, develop as a driver. It's it's almost not fair to call them a GT car, really. They're more like a little prototype in the shape of a of a, a GT car. In, in effect, those little... Four-cylinder, two-liter engines producing ridiculous amounts of horsepower. The bodywork producing a lot of downforce, and the racing is fantastically competitive. Yeah, it is. It's um, fantastically close racing, and um, a very, very. There's a, a massive amount of talent and and um, uh, drivers that are very experienced in that series. So it's a really tough racing out there. Really close racing, which is is always exciting and. We've had two rounds so far, and uh, I was challenging for the podium in the first round at Okiyama mm. in the rain um, until the final few laps. Um, but, um, and then we we had a race at Fuji this weekend, so just gone. So it's um, yeah, it's been uh, you know great great series for me to be part of, and something I'm I'm really enjoying. And um, I'm just thankful to Honda and and McLaren for allowing me to to come and race at Le Mans. So um, yeah. Fair point, well made. Um, if you're only going to do one um, sports car race a year, endurance race a year, then being being known for a Le Mans specialist, as a Le Mans specialist, is not, not the worst thing to do, Oliver, but I, I sense you would like to do a little bit more than just that one race. 
Uh, yeah, of course. I, um, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed my time uh, racing in, in LMP2 and um, and especially at Le Mans. I think it's, you know, it's really it's one of the, the, the best races in, in the world. So, um, to, I, you know, I want to, to always to be racing in, in the, the greatest races and um, to be challenging for, for the, the top uh, top positions and um, certainly, uh, yeah, that's the, you know my my motivation to go back this year and to try and uh, defend uh, you know our crown that we won last year and uh, to try and get another another win under my belt. Um, as you might imagine, can't let you go without having a little word about Formula One. And, and I know you're not in a position to give us any trade secrets, but it's clearly not been the best start to the season to the guys you work with, with which are um, McLaren, Honda. And isn't it great to be able to say that again? But a, a sense of continued hard work going on there and a, a sense that perhaps if, if the corner hasn't been turned, at least you know which way the corner is going now and there have been some improvements. And in fact, there's um, a new colour scheme this weekend uh, as well. Hopefully that'll bring the guys on the track a bit more luck. Uh, yeah, it's been, um, you know, it's been a tough start to the season, but I think, um, the, you know, Honda joining, joining Formula One, this this year um, was always going to be tough. They were, you know, everyone else has had a year of racing mm. uh, behind them. So, um, you know, they've done a phenomenal job. I think with with the engine and uh, to get it to where it is to now. Um, you know, it's, it's every race has been improving, and um, certainly the team are working very hard. And it's a fantastic team to be part of, and the atmosphere is is very positive. So, um, you know, hopefully it's the start of something. Um, very special, and um, you know it's great. I'm very honoured to be part of um, part of McLaren Honda. How much of a part does people like you and the test and development team play then in the modern Formula One era? You're not the the guys aren't allowed to go out and do a lot of real world testing, a lot of sim sim work to be done, a lot of stuff do, done on computers. So, how important is that? Is what's going on behind the scenes that we don't see on the TV on a Friday through to a Sunday. Uh, yes, I mean, um, uh, there's a, yeah, there's quite limited track testing these days, but um, there's now the, a lot of testing done in the simulator, and um, yeah, my role uh, is, is is working on the development of the car and um, with the guys, with the engineers at the factory um, in the simulator, and um, it's a very extensive program and. Certainly, something that I feel benefits me as a driver, and something mm. that I've learned learned a lot from, and and developed a lot um, now in my sixth season with um, with McLaren. So, it's uh, certainly something that I feel that helps me and keeps me sharp as well. So, when when opportunities do come up, uh, like like Le Mans, like last year. I'm able to get in the car and perform kind of straight away. And that's a perfect place to bring us back to the, the matter in hand. Uh, we've got Oliver Turvey on the line, named uh, at nine o'clock tonight. He will be named uh, as the third driver at the Mon for 2015. <laughs> having won it, Ollie, just as a, 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 perhaps a final thought from you, having won it now, is, does that make it easier to go back or harder to go back? You're, you're effectively defending champions, you and the team. Uh, yeah, I think um, it, it gives me confidence, um, certainly, and the team confidence that we know we can do the job. We did did the job last year. Um, it's obviously not going to be easy. It's a tough race, and there's a lot of new cars this year in LMP2, so... 
Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be be hard, but um, it gives me confidence, and um, yeah, re- really kind of feel that you know we're going back to defend our ground. So it's um, not going to give it up without a fight, and um, certainly going to be pushing pushing for the win. That's what we like to hear. Congratulations on being back in the Jota fold and we wish you all the very best uh, and no doubt we'll be talking to you at Test Day which is live here, exclusively live here on RadioLamont.com. Uh, Oliver Turvey, uh, due to be named shortly then as the third driver for Jota Racing. Oliver, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. That's nice, isn't it? He rings in and tells us. That's very nice. And thanks to Martin Pass and the rest of Jota uh, for setting that up so that we could uh, get it a wee bit early. Uh, Passing on my the phone number. Rest of the world, yes, passing on your phone number at home <laughs> at that. I thought that was ex-directory. Uh, uh, fantastic news for them and a very sensible choice. Uh, clearly, Oliver still very much race-ready um, after the kind of programme that he's been running and you've got to say Graham that they go in to Le Mans as defending champions and you know after the weekend's performance against the WEC cars you've got to say they're going in as one of the favourites it uh, must be and uh, likely to give Simon Dolan a third consecutive opportunity in a post-race press conference to or possibly a fourth depending on what happens in Ibola in the meantime um, to remind the powers that be that perhaps they should think again about uh, what they want to do about chassis for um, for LMP2 and, and a point well made by Simon but mm. yeah always a delight to see talented people race these cars um, he's clearly buzzing with the opportunity uh, he's getting at the moment in Super GT with the. Why wouldn't he? Well, yeah, with well, not just with the racing, John, but with the technical input that a driver can have there on the chassis, on the engines, and not not least, of course, on the tyres. Uh, he's still got a very active role with McLaren F1 uh, as a test and development driver, and and of course, a run at the Le Mans 24 Hours. But uh, you know, I think it's fair to say he's one of a legion of talented young professionals that have had their head turned as well by the potential of uh, LMP1. Uh, let's stay on the sports car trail as you're listening to Midweek Motorsport uh, on RadioLeMond.com. Uh, we just quickly add a, a couple of footnotes to the GT uh, situation at Spa. Uh, fantastic win for Aston Martin in Pro that was influenced by a late race penalty for Jimmy Bruni and Tony Vlander in the AF course of Ferrari. Not to take anything away from Fernando Reese and the rest of his team who drove brilliantly, particularly Fernando, under great pressure from both Jimmy and Tony at various times in the race. Uh, it was a safety call. That a wheel got away in the pit lane and was nearly picked up by a Porsche. Very only AF course pit stop. Uh, stop and one minute hold seemed punitive, but I... I'm not going to argue with that because that's a, that's a safety deal. Well, I uh, bumped into uh, the AF Corsa team manager the morning after the race, John, when uh, we popped back to the circuit. And uh, certainly I think he was feeling a little bit bruised by the, the level of the penalty, and in particular the level of the penalty, which he directly compared to the level of the penalty doled out for Brendan Hartley and his run through um, the cutout got through where there's a marshal's post. Fair uh, point, for his, for his, uh, And it is a perfectly fair point. And, um, Brendan, by the way, got 15 seconds for driving yeah. through a marshal's post. Yeah, which, which, uh, to be blunt, uh, is rather less of a penalty than he would have actually suffered had they had to push the car back and uh, rejoin the track at the appointed position. So I think he was very lucky to get away with a 15-second stop go there. 
Um, it clearly blunted their edge, but so uh, was lucky to get away with that. Um, it's harsh. I believe it may be a penalty that is actually listed for that offence. For that, um, you know, there is a minutes penalty for what for the the offence as as kind of discussed. But you know what gives us another talking point, and there's uh, there's too few of those in racing, isn't it? You certainly couldn't uh, in any way accuse that uh, six hours of being anything other than entertaining and engaging. And yet again, John. Uh, you know, almost at the end of a six-hour race, it, it throws us a, a you know a, a googly again. Fantastic. Uh, and as far as the GT Am category, I mean, it's been a perfect start to the season for Aston Martin in the shape of Pedro Lamy, Matthias Lauda, and Paul Dallalana. Who is loving it? Lamy in the form of his life. Matthias Lauda's now gone two for two as well with the rest of that team. And I. I mean, I said this in the qualifying. You can say what you like, but Paul Dallalana is the fastest of the non-pro drivers. And Pedro, with those two around him, Pedro and Matthias, he's been backed up pretty well. And that is genuine pace being shown by the, the non-pro driver. Uh, it was, and I think he's he's driving the best I've ever seen him. I've seen uh, Paul uh, race an awful lot of different machinery, GT3, um, Conti Challenge, and, and of course GTE. And I don't think I've ever seen him drive more quickly or more particularly more consistently. The odd mistake here and there, but that, you know what, as a gentleman driver, that's, that's fine. But uh, no, they took the rest of them to school, didn't they? And it was an impressive uh, win, double win, a double pole of course from Aston Martin perfect weekend for them and uh, they've come home to be amongst the first items installed and are still to be finally fitted out pro drive headquarters back at Banbury uh, yes, which is a good place to move away from Spa and say what a fabulous event and how much we enjoyed it. It's signed up for another three years in the same time of the year, uh, just before Le Mans on that May Day weekend. Uh, so put those in your calendar now. That's one of the other stories that I wanted to, to pick up, Graham, that Aston Martin have now moved into their shiny new factory. Uh, the... Pro, the old ProDrive uh, works, which has grown up on sort of a piecemeal basis on a, yep. a, a, a trading estate, on an industrial estate over the years. Um, they've now been, they've traded up, if you like, to something that's purpose-built. And I'm told it's very impressive. I haven't been over there, but I have got an invitation. Uh, yep, 20 car bays, I'm told. Uh, although one ProDrive source told me it's more than that, which gives them more than enough space, not only for their current projects, but for expansion, should it be required. Uh, spotted a tweet this morning that said they've finally got the planning permission, put the flagpoles up, which is always good. Um, uh, but it's always good to see people investing in top-level motorsport, and that's what's happening there is a fine old facility, but it was very kind of, you could see where programs have been tacked on, couldn't you, with the old ProDrive HQ, and what they're moving to is a state-of-the-art headquarters. It will only be good news for them once they've got through the necessary pains of unpacking all those crates. A um, few other stories as we're rapidly approaching uh, just before five minutes to nine here on Midweek Motorsports Series 10, episode 19. The um, Nürburgring 24 next weekend. Of course, we'll be there exclusively bringing you all of the sessions. And uh, a new driver for Bentley Team HTP at the weekend uh, um, will be announced. Uh, Marcus Seafried uh, announced uh, this morning, I believe, okay. as part of that. So clearly Bentley, you know, looking to add experience to their already undoubted pace. 
Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, with all that's gone before this year, John, at the Nordschleifer, what exactly are we going to find when we rock up there for, uh, again, live coverage of the full race again? I'm asking. Yes, yes, of course. Got to stay up all night again, yeah? Yeah, me and you two. <laughs> we do um, tele and radio. Oh, right, lovely. Uh, for the Nürburgring 24 hours. Um, and that's not... Am I right? Now, this may be something we've not yet revealed, um, but what were we told at Spa about overnight coverage at Le Mans? Uh, yes, I don't think this is... Um... A secret, but um, we... Should we whisper? Should we whisper, just in case it is? Well, for those of you uh, who stay up and watch it all, or perhaps for those of you who aren't in European time zones, uh, you will know that during the night at Le Mans for the past few years, we did have a couple of heady years when there was pretty decent coverage all of the time. Um, And then that disappeared, and various of the cameras turned off. In fact, to the point where... Uh, we never saw the Toyota stopping whilst it was in the lead, did we, Graham? Um, we uh, and that was because it was in an area where there was no camera coverage because people were taking breaks. We're told from a well-placed source within the TV compound that that won't happen this year because every camera point is going to be manned 24 hours through the race at Le Mans this year, principally for overseas markets. But, of course, anybody who sits up in Europe during the overnights will get it as well. Don't tell the unions. Well, well, I presume they're taking on more people because that's a shift work job and that's a that's a big investment in people graham and something that i think the aco and their television production partners should be applauded for uh, well uh, you know if that's correct and we have given no reason to believe it wasn't i think that's a massive step forward for coverage and um you know uh, you know what it's not difficult to run a long shift when you're watching racing like that is it but it doesn't half help if you've got quality tv cameras to actually follow the inevitable um you know uh, action on and off track so uh, very good news indeed as you say john particularly for non-european viewers uh, and a couple of others. I'm looking forward to that. It's, and it also helps us do our job, in fairness, because we rely so much, of course, on an eight and a half mile. Can, can we just say, by the way, that's another exclusive for midweek works for Yeah, it's two already tonight. Um, let's talk. Have we got time before the top? No, I tell you what, we'll leave that story till after. Um, let's talk about graph racing uh, and the first we believe, of the LMP3s from Ligier, which is about to get an outing, although not in one of the series we might have expected to see it straight away. Uh, Well, first uh, iteration of that car, we'll see it uh, at Le Mans, I believe, uh, for the very first time. It's the Ligier JSP3. Uh, Next up, uh, if um, Marshall Pruitt is correct, we might actually see the car testing in the United States. No. alongside of Janetta, we might um, and check out uh, racer.com for that story, great story from Marshall there, um, but then the first race car has been sold to Graf Racing now Graf initially planned to run a Ligier P2 Coupe in the European Le Mans series, but will uh, instead now be entering a Ligier P3 car for the final round of the series, um, and then will stay on at the same circuit to run a V to V race I believe the following week. So keen to get as many miles as possible uh, in the late season under the wheels of what looks like another pretty uh, P3 coupe. Mm. That's, I think that's interesting. Um, and of course we should keep pushing the, the fact that P3 is not a single chassis formula. It just so happens that Ginetta are the ones who've got those their cars out into market 
it uh, quicker than anyone else, which is uh, pretty impressive. Um, it says nearest makes no difference. Nine o'clock. I've got one more story that we want to do uh, on with Graham before we let him go. But as it's nearly nine o'clock, let's call it half time now here on Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. By the way, still nil nil in the football, just to prove that we uh, are live. So a minute or two before uh, nine o'clock to come in the second half of tonight's programme. Uh, we'll have Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. He's getting excited because it's the month of May. I'm surprised we've managed to catch him anywhere at the moment, but he is, I believe, still at home before he heads off to camp at Indianapolis uh, for the rest of the month. We'll have some more news from Tim Gray uh, on possibly two wheels as well, even though Nick's not here. But coming up next, it's more sports car chat with the editor of DailySportsCar.com, Graham Goodwin. He's on the line from the Special Headquarters Endurance Division. Yes, it's The Shed next on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com That doesn't actually prove that we're live because we could have pre-recorded different versions, different scorelines. <laughs> That's true. That is true. It's nine o'clock on midday morning. I'm just looking to see if there's any cricket still going on, but no, there's no finished. cricket. We've terrific, terrifically shock result last night from UKIP. I thought, yeah, oh, damn, whoops, you can't do that in the election season, actually. <laughs> and, and indeed, the Liberal Democrats, and indeed, Conservative, and indeed, Labour. Every think. party, every yeah. party. Um, let's, um, if we're talking about democracy, let's all vote for rebellion. He says, put, throwing that one in. Um, Bart and the uh, Bart Hayden and the rest of the Rebellion boys have been conspicuous by their absence in the first two events of the FIA World Endurance Championship season, uh, leading to rumour and speculation from some quarters, Graham, that that car and the development of the Rebellion R1, which listeners will remember, uh, is undergoing an engine change, not one for another, one type for another, leading to speculation that that car might not turn up. Now, we're not ones always to listen to, speculate, to speculation, so we've uh, we've gone to the horse's mouth. And what did you find out from Bart? Well, Bart certainly doesn't look anything like a horse or indeed its mouth. Uh, oh, well, and, and he's one of the most straightforward guys I know uh, in this already paddock and uh, was very happy to t- tell me exactly what was going on. We will most certainly see... Uh, the two Rebellion R1s for the Le Mans test day and for the Le Mans 24 hours with the full six-driver lineup uh, actually sorted. Um, major re-engineering job for that car, difference between a normally aspirated Toyota V8 and a AR twin-turbo uh, V6 is not the work of a moment. A um, couple of pretty major jobs to do on the car itself. Obviously, there's the cooling that's required around this one. Very busy engine bay and all that entails. Uh, but one of the things that, um, you know, that is, I think, uh, give, taking them time, and they've got one of the cars at the Orica shop now um, with the FIA inspection, uh, I believe, on Tuesday next week with the second car due there on the same day, uh, is, of course, it won't need its air intake from the top of the car anymore. Mm. Um, and it will be, so it will actually kind of, uh, it will look rather different, but only for the main in that regard. But that is a bonded in piece on top of the chassis. So you don't go hacking away at that with, um, you know, with a hammer. Uh, that's something that is a pretty major engineering job. That's underway at the moment. 
um, at Orica. But yes, two Rebellion R1s, delighted to say, will be at Le Mans and are currently programmed for all of the flyaway races, plus the Nürburgring, of course, for the remainder of the WEC. And in terms of the driver lineups, it's as previously advised. We've got uh, Nicolas Prost, Nick Heidfeldt, and Matthias Besch in the 12, uh, Daniel Apt, Dominic Kreihammer, and Alexandra Imperatori in the 13. The, the one slight wrinkle here is that the testing they're going to have, they'll have a couple of days testing at least at Paul Ricard before the test day, then the test day proper, then the Le Mans 24 hours. But unfortunately, of those six, three of them, uh, Nico Prost, uh, Nick Heidfeldt and Daniel Apt are Formula E drivers. And there were some clashes in terms of not necessarily race days, but the travel uh, requirements for the guys this side of the Le Mans 24 hours. So let's keep an eye on that. But the great news is um, the Rebellion boys are back. Yet more Swiss, uh, John, on the uh, FIWEC uh, grid. Uh, and what are future plans for Rebellion? They are the archetypal privateer team. And they're have worked so hard. By the way, I was remiss when we were talking about uh, FIA WEC, not to mention all the hard work from the Tequila Patron ESM guys uh, to get those two cars there and to get them running. I, I, I accept that they probably um, didn't get it, the result they might have hoped for, but just to get miles under the wheels of those cars were brilliant. In the in the same vein of that never-say-die attitude, that that very privateer attitude rebellion have continued to support the fia wec uh, what if anything did bart tell you about the future uh, not a lot i mean i think that they're fully engaged with this program but the the clear indication that i've been given not just by bart but by others as well is that the driving force behind this program is that the, uh, the funding body behind the team want to be competing in the top class, in particular at the Le Mans 24 hours. And realistically, to do that, you've got to have a full season effort now. There's no kind of gimme places uh, in LMP1. You can't just turn up, say, you know, here's my highly expensive motor car, let's go. Uh, and yes, you know, we're all familiar with the stories about why don't they just go and do P2, blah, blah, blah. For me, John... <sighs> We, we've talked and talked again about the controversy at the moment, about the choices being made about um, LMP2. Uh, for me, I'd love to see a little bit of consideration. I'd love to see a pause. And I'd love to be, see a bit of consideration about a stepping stone to P1 uh, and that perhaps we're ready now for an LMP2 Pro class that, uh, broadly speaking, uses the same architecture as the, the LMP2 cars do now, but perhaps with a little more power and a little more aero, uh, and let's face it, a Rebellion R1 and an Orica 05 were separated at birth. It's the same monocoque. It wouldn't be beyond the wit of man because on pace, the reality is, uh, no matter how good an engine that AER is, and I suspect it's very good, um, it's going to have to go some, isn't it, to get anything like the kind of pace um, out of it that even a hobbled factory P1 car is at the moment. Uh, and that's not really fair against the rule book as it was presented uh, in the early days of the new regulations. It's the one miss, if you like, in the new regulations is there really is no place now for privateers on pace, on pace. They will race, they will race well. And let's not forget, Rebellion in recent years have finished as high as thought fourth overall at the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, we mentioned this in the um, in the Audi Ultra on the way back from the, the track. I mean... <laughs> 
in some ways, you look at the P1 regulations and say there's no place for privateers. So let's expect them all to go to P2. But if the new P2 regulations are anything like what we're expecting with the enforcement of um, proprietary chassis manufacturers, then it gives no place for the P2 guys to express themselves, the privateer guys rather, to express themselves either. A bit of a catch-22 for for teams like, well, you know, we, we've mentioned uh, Rebellion. You could think of potentially of Jota, certainly of, of Stracker. Um, a bit, bit of an odd one, wasn't it? Well, I, I just sort of think uh, that the old era has passed. The, the reality is we're in a different world to where we were two years ago, John. Uh, the reality is there is no way that even the most weighty of privateer efforts is going to get close to the kind of development curve we're seeing at the moment from the factory teams and yes there's reason to be concerned about historical precedent there and, and will they outrun themselves if you like in terms of uh the um the, the development curve but let's stick with it while we can uh, but i do think we need a a fallback position that fallback position needs to continue to remember the valuable contribution that's the privateer efforts have always made not necessarily a, a kind of pro-am effort either to sports car racing. At the moment, I, I sort of feel that we could be approaching a point where there's just too big a step yeah. from a, a kind of an LMP2 uh, level of regulation that perhaps takes a minor step down from where we are at the moment um, up to the, uh, you know, the, the just mega levels that current P1 cars are. And for me, if it was, if you're asking me right here and now to express a preference, it would be that what we hear in June is a pause, yeah. uh, that we have, a, we, have, we have a bridging position until perhaps 2019, 2020, and that they open a discussion with all parties here about what is needed in the future regulations. They've, they've done a fantastically good job of, of where we are currently with P1, where we are currently with P2, and you know what? I just don't want to see that boat rocked. I'd love to see somewhere where an all-professional you know, a group in a prototype just beneath, maybe a kind of a current single-seater team looking to expand or move across, can come across, show what they can do, and perhaps attract a future customer factory P1 effort. Mm. Uh, at the moment, there really isn't a stepping stone with the exception of what Rebellion are doing that allows us to do that. Um, before I let you go, just a, a quick thought about... Uh, British GT, which was at Rockingham the weekend, uh, first of the two-hour races, and I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, and I know, by the way, I'm biased because I used to work there, um, but I like Rockingham, and I like the circuit layout that Rockingham uses. If it was in sweeping parkland, everybody would rave about it. I understand it's not traditional in terms of the UK sense of the word, but There's the no circuit... no falling onto the track. No, it's no leaves like falling. Park. No, indeed. Um, but there's some very fast sweeping sections. There's some great stuff. 33, 32 cars uh, in British GT. I was just saying, actually, uh, as an aside here, Graham, um, British touring cars looking better than ever in terms of numbers. British superbikes looking fantastic. I was catching up on that uh, earlier on today. And British GT looking good. It's a good time for British national motorsport. And the two-hour race at Rockingham is... You know, one of the highlights of the season. Sadly, it happened on Sunday this year, so I couldn't 
get there. 31 cars, wasn't it? Uh, and and, yeah. and more good racing again on that Rockingham circuit. Well, can I start off by saying what a great qualifying session Von Ryan Racing had. Really? Were you watching? Uh, but uh, didn't go so well in the race, did it, Graham? Uh, Dunno is the honest answer. I haven't actually caught up with very much of the British GT. Ooh, I was going to add. Is this uh, going to be a indul- spoiler? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just going to add. Um, you know, I'm going to indulge myself completely entirely and just say one thing about the British GT race, or rather the aftermath, which is I want to say a, a massive and a public thank you to Mark Housen, uh, who's stepping down from British GT, having oh. missed barely a race in 15 years. Um, professional commitments for, for for Mark and his family business mean that uh, he'll be. Uh, leaving our reporting team for the remainder of this season. I hope he'll be back. But uh, Mark and I shared our very first race together, um, you know, for what was then uh, Malcolm Cracknell's uh, Sports Car World or Total Motorsport, can't remember which, 2000, 2001. And Mark, I believe, if he's missed one British GT race since then, that's all he's missed. No way. And, uh, and I, you know, I'll be sorry that we've not got Mark at those races from here on in. And frankly, British GT Championship should be sorry he's not going to be there either because uh, what he's added in terms of uh, my level of understanding of what's gone on over a racing weekend and to countless others as well has raised it to a level that, to be blunt, no other media outlet has invested uh, the care in. And um, I'll be very sorry to see him go. So thanks for absolutely no, everything. No, brilliant. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear that, Graham. It'll be very difficult, uh, nigh on impossible, to replace. Uh, and, yeah... It's the the issue if it's not finding someone else to go to the events. It's to have oh, we've someone. Got, we've got plenty plenty of others that will fill in the fill in the gap, but it will be a big gap to fill. Well, and you know he's got that irreplaceable knowledge of every round of the championship up until now, and that's the you know that's the thing that you can't just read about it. Having been at all of them, and I know how much difference it is for me when I've been to see a race and how much more I remember of it than than when I've just read about it or even sometimes watched it on the telly. I know I watch it on the telly when I'm there as well, but you, you know what I mean. All right, Graham, I'm going to let you uh, disappear uh, and uh, not in the literal sense, of course, because uh, that would be very impressive. Um, thank you for all your hard work across the weekend. And of course, next week we'll reconvene uh, in Germany in the Eiffel Mountains. Always a delight. It's just been so far, John, if this season continues like it started it will be uh, just a world beater. It's been an absolute pleasure, all Great. of it. And uh, I'll see you next weekend. Cheers, mate. That's uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCard.com, joining us live here on Midweek Motorsport just before a quarter past nine on uh, Series 10, Episode 19. It's Wednesday, the 6th of May, Election Day, uh, here in the UK tomorrow. Nobody talking about motorsport in their election manifesto, as I've got to say. Uh, still to come, uh, we have Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com and all things uh, American on a busy weekend for that. Uh, also covered here on uh, IMSA Radio and Radio Le Mans, as well as RSL Extra, which was fired up at the weekend. Tim Gray is fired that... up again next weekend. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. For the European Le Mans series. Oh, yes, which is on the same time as Nürburgring. 24. Um, Tim is our executive producer. That was his voice. He's up in London. Uh, what do you have for us next? Well, now that Graham's gone, I can uh, say that uh, Von Ryan Racing and British GT uh, qualified 6th and 7th. And they were both out before the first lap was over. Oh, no, that's bad. Uh, taking each other out. No, no. One, one taking the other out. Taking a leaf out of uh, Porsche's book at uh, Daytona and Spa this weekend, which so is something I didn't really want to mention again. So another victory for Ikuria Koss. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in the GT3 class, and uh, Beach Dean uh, were the winners in the GT4 class. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good little program for uh, Beach Dean, and um, that was that uh, Jamie Chadwick. It was yeah. Second in the championship now, Chadwick and Gunn, uh, just uh, two and a half points behind the Johnson and, winners and the Rumtica. Previous weekend of the Silverstone 24 Hours. Yes, indeed. Uh, and it's Attard and Sims, which is the Curia Cos car, isn't it? Uh, in second place. In the, or is it Griffin and Butcher, who are the... Curia uh... Uh, Cos, that yeah. must be the Attard car. I would have thought so. They are three and a half points behind the... Yeah, no, uh, yes it is. I was right the first time. Mark Attard um is uh, in the curious well they are that aston that their bmw excuse me are just uh, three uh two three three and a half points behind uh the leaders in the championship who are who did i say they were i've just lost them on the the timing uh it is griffin and butcher Okay, where did they finish? Uh, that's Liam Griffin and Rory Butcher. That's the all-man racing team. Where did they finish? They're down in third, they finished. Third. Yeah. Behind their teammates. Daniel Lloyd and Ahmed Al-Hati at the weekend. And good racing from uh, everybody uh, this went What a busy weekend. Uh, it was. Uh, midweek motorsport then. Where to next? A couple of uh, touring-car stories. Okay, very quickly then. Uh, starting with the DTM. Yes. Uh, which might... Uh... Ah, no, we, we played a part in this. When we interview people, they win. And what was the first thing we said about Jamie Green last week, he's never won for Audi before. And mm. what happened this weekend? He took pole and then yeah. won. <laughs> he did. He's going to want us to interview him every week. <laughs> we should have interviewed him twice, really, because there were two mm. races on the weekend now. Uh, so that's that. World Touring Cars. Only 17 cars in World Touring Cars. That's the lowest number they've had. Are they still racing? Have race? Quite some time. Um, there was a race last weekend, but mm-hmm. uh, not for James Thompson, uh, who had a dental problem. That's what was said, yes. Yes. Mm. Uh, the uh, Larder Sport... Was Jap van Lagen brought in? He was brought in as an understudy, yes. Um, and uh, the Larder Sport team have now announced that uh, James Thompson's uh, toothache is so serious that uh, he won't be racing for them ever again. Yes. Uh, that's a bit of a shame, really. Um, he's teammates Rob Huff this year, isn't he? And Rob's really taken to the new... Yep. Larder very well Lester indeed. Lester Girolami uh, was also at the... Lest, uh, Lester's who? No. Lester's Jamie Green, surely. Lester <laughs> All right, Girolami okay. Okay. Um, has tested the uh, Larder, but uh, his Peugeot contract prevents him from actually racing it. I think it's, it's a, it may be the end of, uh, of Piglet's uh, career in world touring cars, at least for the short term. Uh, as you say, it looks like he's not coming back. There's some arrangement being made with the team. And, uh, you know, he lives in Ibiza. He's got a nice lifestyle. Does he need to do it? Probably not. Will we see him pop up again in something weird? Almost certainly. Will it be a full season? Probably not. Um, but I, I'm not sure he's, he's driving completely over. But I, 
I wonder if he feels like he's been rather expending more energy than he needs to to not get any result uh, from that project. He threw his hat in with it, didn't he, Tim, very early. But uh, it hasn't really shown um, much promise up until relatively recently. And we have a driving comeback. Oh, do we? Uh, that isn't going to happen, apparently. <laughs> so a driving comeback that's been reported but is now already being poo-pooed. Yes. Right, who is it? Martin Donnelly. No way. Yeah. See... If you'd said Martin Donnelly's coming back to drive, I'd have went, no, he's not. That's ridiculous. What was he meant to be driving? I, I, I'd have thought that it would be more likely that... Uh, is it Stefan, his son? What's, his yeah, son? Uh, What's Martin Donnelly's son's name? Is it Stefan? No. You're Johnny Palmer's shrugging his shoulders. You're thinking um, of Stefan Hodgetts, aren't you? No. All right. Okay, I don't know is the short answer. Uh, Martin Donnelly's uh, son is a racing driver um so martin donnelly uh had been rumored to have been lined up for uh infinity uh for one of the btcc q50s for the rest of the season really yes um but uh, apparently he's uh, been denied entry because he hasn't got a license it doesn't say when was the last time you think he drove Anything. Well, he did GP Masters, didn't he? Right. Um, and according to something I just found on the web, he raced in the Lotus Cup last year. Did he? Yes. I don't think he did. Yes, he did. Really? Yes. All right. Okay, fine. Well, okay. With so his he's son. St- he's, ah, whose name is? Stefan. Uh, you were right. There well we done. go. So we got that, though. That was a very long way uh, round uh, to it. All right. uh, Thank you, Tim, for that. It's 20 minutes past nine here in the UK. Time to talk about all things American. There was plenty of that. Before we introduce Marshall, I've got an American Formula One story. All right, quickly then. This is about Haas. Mm -hmm. uh, Who. Haas. I like that you say that, Haas. Have been uh, linked with a driver. Right, okay. Uh, so do not be surprised if when they announce their drivers soon, mm-hmm. um, that uh, the name Jonathan T- Summerton uh, comes out. Hmm. Ex-Formula BMW in the US and a Mazda driver as well, wasn't he? Uh, yes, and he's done indie Lights, I believe. Uh, anyway, let's get to the real American news now. Uh, Marshall Pruitt getting ready for Indianapolis. Uh, good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Heidi. <laughs> ah, yes, all seems right with the world uh, when I hear you down a very clear line from the uh, left coast at the moment. Let's start with Master Race Wheel Laguna Seca last weekend. Uh, I got home from Spa in time to watch the race on a combination of IMSA.com and, and television and listen to Jeremy Gregg and Shea doing the call. I thought spectacular in terms of the visuals as uh, Master Raceway tends to be. I thought pretty good racing as well, if I'm honest. It was everything that uh, you would want from a motor race, Hindy. Lots of racing. Minimal, mm. minimal yellow. We had uh, the briefest of pauses. It was, uh, yeah, I have to admit, uh, as I wrote my little rewind column, 
IMSA has fallen into just a good rhythm of a putting great. on a motor race, having plenty of action and interest and passing, and just strictly from a fan standpoint, I think they're doing exactly what everyone would hope, putting on good races with minimal controversy. How much worry do you think there was beforehand of putting the full field back together? We saw a caution-free race around a difficult track at Long Beach with just the pro guys. They, the pro-am guys came in. It was a much bigger field. And, and yet, it, it still worked. And I think all the better for that, if I'm honest. Yeah, of course we'd like to see more cars in each class from a health standpoint, not necessarily from a competition standpoint, but just, hey, if more cars means more money, <laughs> means more prosperity for the for the series. But for a you know slightly over two-mile track like Laguna, that where it seems like you're constantly turning, 35 cars seem to be about the limit of what you'd want. Agreed. And so I think with that number... I think that definitely worked at Laguna. Had this been 45 cars, 50 cars, I think we would have seen a lot of yellows. Uh, fabulous. I, I'm not going to go through all of the, the results. Go on to racer.com or dailysportscore.com to see the, the, the roundup of what happened. But a couple of things I want to pull out. Uh, unbelievable um, performance from Rahal Lettigan, uh, Letterman Lanigan even, uh, and the two BMWs, absolutely the class of the field. We haven't seen as dominating a performance there for quite some time in IMSA competition, whether it was uh, this version of it or the previous ALMS version of it. They just, they executed. They did what they needed to do on a track that, in fairness, does suit their car, but, my goodness, they brought it home. Yeah, point and squirt track with a couple of point and squirt cars after the race. <laughs> Lucas Lohr said, you know, because said, hey, boy, talk about a couple of good weeks in California. You guys uh, mm. rolled the field at the Long Beach and rolled them again at Laguna. And he said, yeah, I mean, that's perfect, perfect track for the for our cars. We go to Elkhart Lake. Uh, maybe we aren't having this conversation. So uh, as we as we saw in a few different classes, and when we speak about Saturday's Continental Tire mm. uh, Series race, there is certainly a situation where uh, certain vehicles fit a track like that. And uh, yeah, full credit to the uh, Ray Hall folks. Let's just say that uh, maybe a little bit later in the season, when we get to some of the longer flowing tracks, uh, there we not, might not see as many smiles under that tent. Yeah, it's a fair point. The IHG Rewards Club BMW looking great in that uh, that throwback livery and an amazing start that 39 years, 364 days ago, Hans Stuck won at the same venue in the very, very early days of BMW Motorsport. Yeah, the cool part, and I, again, apologise for making this about me, but that was my first race. No way! Yeah, the first one that I remember. Uh, I mean, I think I remember my dad taking me to, you know, uh, figure eight racing or drag race when I was a kid. But I, I think I remember the smells. But in terms of actual visuals and remember seeing seeing the racing cars and being enthralled, that was the 75 IMSA GT race there oh. of Stuck, uh, of that and of that BMW streaking by. I can still picture it today, of it going by into Turn 11. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was just a, a, the the deer, the the anorak of anoraks, Bill Cobb from BMW, who I just <laughs> love. Uh, he stopped me right after the race and said, isn't that amazing? 39 years, 364 days to Stuck's win. You know, one day away from uh, 40 years to that win. And I just wow. said, wow, that's the best stat of the weekend. Right no, there. no, absolutely. They're building up a decent uh, points haul in the early part of the season. Uh, the GT 
LM cars, of course, are at Le Mans uh, for test day, or at least some of them are, Corvette notably, for the next round, which is at Detroit. So those cars don't run again until until when? Oh, good Lord. We're, we would be looking at... Watkins uh, Glen? Yeah, Watkins Glen. Lime Rock yeah. Park, yeah. No, not Lime yeah, Rock, Wa- yeah. Uh, Watkins, June twenty-seven to twenty-eight. So yeah, there's a there's definitely a break for uh, for some cars uh, due to the Le Mans commitments. Um, so yeah, we're kind of, I guess we can we can say that Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca was a lovely uh, coming together of all the classes. We do a little bit of splitting, and then we'll get back together soon. Um, you mentioned the um, well, well, we'll talk about the Conti in a moment because I got to talk the battle at the front of the field, and it came up again in. Uh, Michelin post-race tech, uh, which I, in a in a marvellous piece of technology, which which worked, and well done to Tim Greer and to Jim Deason and everybody at the track, uh, as well, um, Brian Peck and all of our technical uh, side of things under Eva at uh, Mazda. We managed to have Shea Adam in the pit lane for post-race tech at Mazda Raceway Laguna Sega, and me back in the UK hosting it. It, it the. <sighs> The subject du jour, once again, was balance of performance and the fact that the DPs ran away with the race. I'm still not sure that there's anything wrong with balance of performance when you've only got one really top-line, fully competitive LMP2 car out there, and that's not to denigrate at all what Mazda did, and they led the race. They they play the cards the way they fall for them. They've got a better fuel mileage, and they use it, and well done to them for leading the race in the Sky Active Diesel on home on home ground. I'm, not, I'm still not seeing that much wrong with the BOP at the moment. What I'm not seeing, and I, and I don't know how anybody legislates for this, Marshall, is I'm not seeing enough LMP2 side of that prototype equation in IMSA right now. Very true. Uh, I think you're seeing, uh, well, I think you're seeing a lot of things, Heidi. There's not a bunch of money sitting around to spend on the fastest and most expensive prototypes uh, in North America right now, or that have a class to run, I should say, North America right now. Uh, You're seeing folks realizing that 2017 is indeed the time uh, for that changeover to happen and uh, why spend money, why do uh, you know, why go that route now when you either need to save money or need Mm. to maximize your income with the equipment you currently have, those being Daytona prototypes. Um, Yeah, hey, I'd love to see uh, some European teams or just simply more people opt into P2, but I think there's also a stigma. I completely agree. Really? I think that the, yeah, well, I think the the BOP is strong, but also keep in mind that, uh, and no disrespect to John Pugh, but if if we'd had Oz Negri senior and junior and junior junior in the car, if we'd had two of Oz's, <laughs> two Oz Negris in, uh, in Michael Shank Liget, uh, they would have walked the field as well. I mean, that car was just, you know, clearly faster than everything. So the, the DP folks would probably, you know, have an argue against uh, saying the BOP was on. But again, I think that's more a case of no super long straights for the Corvettes and the Ford uh, DPs to really uh, flex their muscles. So it, like the BMWs at Laguna, uh, definitely a point and squirt track that favors cor- cornering speed. Mm-hmm. That certainly falls to the P2. But yeah, to your point, of course I'd love to see it. Uh, I'd love for the Mazdas to be further along in their development cycle so that we had more P2s up front. Um, but that's just not the case. It's really expensive to do this, Hindy. And with the imbalance 
that came out of 2014 so often with uh, the P2 and DP fights and the fact that we've seen uh, DP's uh, rule so far this year. You know, Even if the BOP is close, discerning folks who might want to spend money, I think, are still looking at the numbers and saying, hmm, uh, why would I go into a P2 when it appears the DP still win? Uh, and congratulations, by the way, to the 90 DP, Richard Westbrook, uh, anchoring that team home for their first win in nine with uh, Michael Viente, his uh, teammate there, Ricky Taylor, uh, in second place uh, for the 10 car. Osnegri did get on the podium with Michael Shank Racing, as you mentioned with John Pugh. Um, the other point of the P2 side of things is, uh, I'm afraid, not great news uh, in that ESM, Tequila Patron Racing, have decided that they're going to concentrate in the World Endurance Championship and therefore they won't be uh, completing the rest of the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. I... <sighs> I know that people are going to say the sky's falling in, in here, MP, but frankly, with the season that those guys have had already, three chassis in four different <laughs> races on two different yeah. continents, um, I, this is, I don't think you can, you can read that into this. I think this is guys circling the wagons and saying we've got a full season commitment for WEC. We need to commit to it totally. Yeah, I just read a release that they're going to uh, be switching over to radicals and then switching <laughs> over to uh, garages. Uh, and then uh, I heard Mike Pillbeam is also preparing cars. So, now, I, to your point, Heidi, a hundred percent. Those, but I just feel bad for them. Yeah, you just want to give them hugs when you see them because that team, genuinely, through you know May sixth, has done more work than uh, has done a year's worth of work. Uh, in less than half a year. It's been brutal on their behalf. And so for me, uh, if I was Ed Bennett, if I was Scott Sharp, if I were on down the list, I would be making the same decision. And I know that we're going to, you know, the slings and arrows of, wait a minute, the guy that makes the Patron tequila, you know, North American Challenge happen isn't supporting it. That's just, boy, he's making a statement against IMSA. I think think that's nonsense. I actually, I really think that's nonsense. And I think that's people. I'm going to say this out loud. I think anybody that says that, that is a ridiculous statement given what we've talked about. I also think it's it's bordering on troublemaking. You know, it really is. I would say they've made, instead of making a statement against IMSA, I would say they're making a statement for their crew and mechanics. Saying, hey, you know what? uh, you guys are what is most important to us. We are the sponsor. I mean, that's the other thing to keep in mind. Uh, Ed is the sponsor. He owns a team, co-owns a team, and is the sponsor. So th- he knows if they're going to get a proper return on investment. Uh, and I think with that kind of insider knowledge per se, uh, the fact that they've decided to uh, consolidate, concentrate their season into the WEC, uh, avoid f- lots of flying back and forth and mm-hmm. torturing the crew even more, this is, it's almost a humanitarian act. <laughs> yeah, I, point, I, I agree. So that's how I see it, at least. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport at Series 10, Episode 19. We've got Marshall Pro from Racer.com on the line and it, interesting actually we can we can link 
it, that to that ESM story to HPD a little bit because the former bedfellows of ESM, and I'm led to believe, by the way, that the Coopers are still in the ESM shop. They haven't gone back to uh, yeah. Santa Clarita yet. Um, a new challenge for one of those Coopers has been rumoured. You broke it. Excellent piece of investigative journalism, uh, working your contacts behind the scenes. Came out over the weekend at Spa. Pike's Peak for a Cooper, <laughs> for, an, for a P2. This is intriguing. Tell. Isn't that the most awesome thing in the world? I mean, I don't know about you, Heidi, but I just, these are the things I live for. We know the dates, right? We know every year we're going to go to Le Mans. Here. We know all those things. Those are expected. We know what we're going to see. It's the crazy out of left field. What kind of stories like this that I love and even more the car uh, vehicles like this uh, where you go, all right, that's just mildly insane. Someone needs to be committed. Uh, yeah, so that's what they're looking to do. There's one uh, big, I don't want to call it holdup, but one big proviso, and that is, uh, as I have learned, they had, I believe, well, believe that they had a tire supplier in place and uh, with what they are trying to do, taking a P2 car up Pikes Peak, uh you know, almost doubling or adding 35 to 40 percent horsepower yep. uh, to the standard P2 totals. They're not wanting to take, no one would want to take tires just off the shelf, buy them at the tire rack and have them show up. Uh, they would want to be working with a technical tire partner. From what I understand, the one that they had targeted and or gone some, somewhat down the road with, uh, that fell through. So uh, they have been looking for uh, a new tire partner. So, from what I uh, what I understand, provided that happens, provided a tire partner is identified and a relationship uh, takes off, we will see that happen. Without it, though, uh, it will not happen. And I, again, I would not I would not send a car up without um, a technical tire partner. In no, place. no, no, so, no, no, no. But yeah, a P two car coupe. You know, the keep in mind that Sebastian Loeb's Peugeot uh, did that with uh, all-wheel drive, and you know they claimed 75 horsepower. So you can just how much? Probably add, they claimed 875. So you you can assume that number is probably closer to 975. So uh, from what I've heard, the uh, the uh, P2 coupe would be targeting similar numbers as the Peugeot, but obviously all-wheel drive system would not really be uh, an option at this point. So. No. Um, but if you think about the arrow on that P2 compared to uh, Loeb's vehicle, uh, there's definitely more downforce available to that P2 yes. car. So lack of all-wheel drive could be somewhat compensated for with uh, advanced cornering speed. And so, let's not forget up. as well that Romain Dumas has taken up prototype-esque car. Now, this is all possible, of course, because Pikes Peak is now all tarmac um it wouldn't have been able to do this uh, in the years gone by and indeed sebastian loeb's car um borrowed elements of the drivetrain from the the p1 peugeot so the, it's not without precedent this but I, yeah. I think it's an interesting one uh, and i think it's a uh, what was it that somebody took up there last year that that had hpd connotations wasn't it a minivan that had an hpd engine yeah, the, in it yeah it was a couple of years ago when simon Pagenaud there you took go. One up with uh, yeah with a p2 engine so yeah and that's the other cool thing too is 
you see at some events, manufacturers will make, you know, this odd wonky event kind of theirs. And that's been Honda for many years mm. where so many of the associates from American Honda and HPD and otherwise, you know, five cars, seven cars, eight cars and all different classes. And it really is just kind of a call it a fun run. I mean, they take it very seriously, but uh, there's just a great spirit behind Honda and the Pikes Peak event each year. So I hope this happens. And uh, if they have the uh, the driver who's been rumored to uh, pilot this thing uh, in the car, boy, that would be even more fun. Oh, really? Okay. Well, is that something that we can talk about or leave that for another time? Well, again, we're talking rumored. Uh, okay. But it's, it's, it's rumored to be a tall Englishman with the last name Wilson who uh, has pedaled <laughs> some uh, Honda Indy cars rather quickly and won a, a number of races. So, I had a long uh, chat with a tall fella at uh, Long Beach and amazing that he hasn't got a full-time drive at the moment and amazing in a bad way uh, is what I'm saying. Um, before we leave IMSA and the Chid United Sports Car Championship, some other breaking news that you have brought to us. You have been a busy beaver uh, recently, uh, Marshall in fairness uh, it, it concerns LMP3 and GT3 and the potential futures for those within the Tudor United Sports Car Championship something that we've talked about on numerous occasions here uh, we've always said that they've looked they're still looking but they appear to be taking this a, a tad more seriously and we're getting perhaps a little nearer to knowing where the future may lie for those two categories uh, within Tudor United Sports Car Championship yeah, pretty interesting in that uh, we, we've known that they were looking at P3 uh, as a possible uh, PC replacement. And, you know, the series has even come out and said that last year, that just acknowledging that is something that they would want to look at. Um, and definitely the uh, the opening ELMS race at Silverstone, I think, uh, was of particular wow. interest for IMSA to see how the uh, five Jeanettes got on, and uh, I think by all accounts they got on quite well. Granted, oh, yeah. uh, a bit of bit of BOP work to be done. Well, let me rephrase that: not so much BOP within the class, but uh, finding the right pace separation between the P3s and the GT cars. They were on top of each other a bit at Silverstone, but I think they saw the potential there. And uh, from what I have learned, uh, the series is preparing uh, kind of an open invite test. At, uh, I believe it's meant to be the day after the, the uh, six hours at Watkins Glen. Oh. Uh, exactly like they did with the uh, the Eureka FLM09, the uh, PC car, yeah, the day after the 2009, if I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, Petit Le Mans, where yep. it was, hey, here's the car. Uh, if you're interested, show up. Up, uh, bring your driver, sample it, and uh, I think at the end of that uh, test with the Eureka, they I think they had something like eleven orders in place. So uh, I don't know if they're. I don't believe that is the intent uh, with Watkins Glen uh, event. I don't believe they're actually meant to take orders because there's no real immediate timeline for introduction. But, but I have heard that uh, of the things that were discussed in a closed door meeting last weekend at uh, Mazda Raceway with the PC owners, one of the topics broached by the series was, we've told you that PCs will run through 2016 and we're looking to replace them for 2017. Would you be open to a uh, gradual introduction in 2016 and start blending some of those that's in? That's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, if that is true, that's a, a great idea. Uh, do you think... Uh, LMP3 is designed as an open chassis category as far as worldwide regulations, albeit with the uh, Nissan drivetrain uh, and the spec gearbox. Is it, as far as you know, Marshall, the intent of IMSA to have a 
a chassis in LMP3 or to have it as open chassis. Now, we haven't seen any of the uh, the other manufacturers other than Ginetta who've been the first out of the blocks, but certainly there are at least two or three others in Europe that are imminent. I've heard, word on the street, is uh, the at least the test would be uh, made open to multiple manufacturers. Smart. And I, I can't believe that uh, IMSA would do that with the intent of then locking it down to one single one. Keep in mind that uh, I believe the Riley Tony Ave P3 project, I believe their first car is meant to be on the ground uh, mid to late summer. Wow. So, uh, that again, that would in theory be after the test. Yep. but. Uh, I can't imagine IMSA would go forward with P3 and uh, not have multiple chassis available uh, simply because I think there would – well, you don't want to limit your options. No, indeed. Um, Let's talk about more options for IMSA uh, before we move on to all the the other racing uh, at uh, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca last weekend, most of which I think you heard. In fact, all of the races you heard either on IMSA Radio or RadioLamont.com. GT3, all kinds of rumours going around recently. And you and I had a, a, a quiet chat, I think, when I was at the prologue at, at um, Paul Ricard about what was happening. We've heard from IMSA that GT3 will be a part of the big show in 2016. And the original, what we expected, was it would take over from GTD or be integrated at least into GTD. There have been some rumours that, that IMSA are wanting to run a sprint GT3 series. Now, that clearly would be far more of a direct competitor with something like World Challenge. What what we're hearing about 2016 and where you might be able to race a GT3 car with an, under an IMSA banner? Yeah, that's, so that's an interesting part, Heidi. So we uh, did an interview with Scott Atherton a couple of days prior to Sebring in March, and that was probably of all the questions I asked, one of the the ones that I, the one I was most interested in answer on. And Scott was you know, surprisingly forthcoming, knowing that it was something that was you know in its formative stages of development. Uh, the okay, I'm. I'm going to try and keep this as short as possible because there's a lot of elements to it. Uh, and no, I'm just, you know, again, we have limited time and I don't want to turn this into too long of a thing, but you have a number of uh, folks who currently own GT3 cars running in uh, Pirelli World Challenge Series. And for reasons, for whatever their reasons are, we'll let them answer that. There have been a lot of inquiries coming in saying so. Uh, if you guys at IMSO were to put together a sprint race series, that would be really interesting to us. Oh, really? Uh, I, I think some, uh, some of the folks that left GT Daytona at the end of 2014 for World Challenge, believing that everything would be better there, I think some have found that maybe they'd like the IMSO experience a little more. Others uh, have come away with the exact opposite, feeling, no, but I'm glad we left uh, World Challenge is we're way happier here. So again, there's no you can't draw a line down the middle of things and say it's all one opinion. Uh, those who have GT3, uh, others that have GT3 machinery, those that are expecting to purchase full GT3 uh, spec machinery 
to uh, for 2016 to continue in GT Daytona have asked him, say, hey, so sprint racing is pretty cool. We have some clients that are more interested in that mm-hmm. than others. And uh, if you were to offer that, that would allow us to do one-stop shopping with you compared to having to spend some time in World Challenge, some time with you. And uh, the that- inevitability of having to double up because of calendar clashes, etc. Et exactly. Exactly. So those inquiries have been coming in for a while since IMSA announced they were going full GT3 in 2016. So again, that part isn't new. Uh, the, hey, hmm, maybe maybe we're getting more inquiries than we expected. Maybe there's uh, something There's something here. There's something to look at seriously. That has been a more recent development. Right. Here's the one interesting part. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, from a few sources that the main driver behind this, and this is the part that surprised me, uh, is Ed Bennett, hmm. not not Scott Atherton. And I don't say that in a, a negative way towards Scott, but I, at least in terms of roles and functions from the outside, I've always perceived Ed, uh, the CEO uh, of the sports car series, I've always perceived Ed as the person really spending most of his his time uh, in the offices working directly with the parent company NASCAR, really is the, the senior most halo person, but working directly with NASCAR right. in the evolution of the sports car series. And then Scott Atherton, president of IMSA, really being more of the hands-on, you know, feet on the ground working to develop the sports car series from the inside out. Mm-hmm. It pr- surprised me to hear from multiple folks saying, no, this is Ed. This is Ed saying, we're going to make this happen. We need to make this happen. Wow. And if that is true, if that is the case, having Ed being motivated to make an IMSA-sanctioned GT3 sprint race series uh, come to fruition uh, – that's a pretty. That in and of itself is a fairly. I would say is a fairly powerful statement from uh, within their halls. It is something that we've covered on this program in the past. In, in fact, talking to Brian Gush of, of Bentley, um, they would be far more interested in that, for example, than they would be being what, in his words, was a second tier GT series, even in the bigger races. And there are a number of manufacturers who think like that. Uh, aren't there, Marshall? Uh, Bentley, I think of particularly, uh, probably McLaren as well. They want to race for overall victories, even if it is in a series that perhaps you know isn't doing the 24 hours of Daytona or the 12 hours of Sebring or the six hours of Watkins Glen. I, I'm I'm intrigued by that. That that is uh, that is that is on the cards, and it's a bit of a change of direction from what we've heard. But from what you're saying, this would be in addition to, not instead of the GT3 cars coming in as the second tier of uh, GT racing in IMSA. Absolutely. So the plans to replace, uh, to throw out the current GTD regulations at the end of 2015, introduce brand new GT3, full GT3 only regulations uh, for GTD that is going forward as planned. Uh, The sprint race series would be right alongside a continental tire series, Mm -hmm. the Blancpain, Lamborghini, Super Trofeo Mm -hmm. series, Mm -hmm. MX-5, all the other, uh, all of the, call them either smaller or uh, support series that IMSA sanctions during its events. This would be, this would fit into that uh, pool Got you. Uh, support events. I guess the, the final note here, though, Heidi, is, uh, again, from what I have heard, if this were to happen, it would likely come at the expense 
of one of those series yeah. uh, just to be able to fit it in. That Maybe that wouldn't happen, but I've heard no more than six races. Yeah. And they're looking at a limit of 20 to 24 cars for mm. this uh, sprint race series. Wow. Okay. We'll watch the space with uh, interest and, and good uh, good hunting uh, on uh, both of those uh, scoop stories that you got, the Pikes Peak uh, and the uh, the GT3 and LMP3 uh, stories there, MP. Um, before we leave GT racing in IMSA, um, a story surfacing, which you've been writing about very recently, about the future of Derek Walker's Porsche effort, currently Falcon Tires Racing. What does the future hold for Derek? I don't know if uh, anybody has an answer right now. That was the big rumor going around uh, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca last weekend, Heidi. Uh, lots of people convinced that uh, the Falcon program is going away. Uh, spoke with Derek yesterday, and he said, no, that's not true. Uh, and uh, he said, I mean, he and I, we have a very direct relate, you know, direct relationship in that if I ask him a question he'll give me the honest <laughs> he'll give me the honest answer sometime. and the point about this is for those that don't realize it this is not just about tire supply Falcon are the principal sponsor of that car hence Falcon tires racing when we say that when we refer to that car as a Falcon tires Porsche that's because that's the team name not just the tires that it runs on yeah, exactly. So uh, he did say that you know they're talking about uh, future engagement. He said their their deals are always one year deals, and so they're continuing okay. to talk with Falcon about uh, continuing their participation. Uh, did mention there had been some questions about possible adjustments to it, but nonetheless, he said uh, he is committed uh, to have his team Walker Racing continue in IMSA. Okay, uh, obviously, Good. said he, he absolutely wants to do that with Falcon, uh, but if that were to if that relationship were to change, it would not be because uh, Walker Racing made that change. So uh, good to hear that he plans on being an IMSA. Uh, for me, at least, I want to see that uh, lovely green and blue livery yes. uh, and those tires in the series for many years to come. Quick uh, quick word about uh, some of the other racing that went on at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Um, MX-5, the new X5 Cup car was out, uh, being shown to the public for the first time, and there was a couple of very, very good, well, Mazda MX-5, the battery tender Mazda MX-5 Cup uh, is superb. MazdaLive.com covered it with Shea uh, doing the play-by-play with Kenton Coker, who I thought both of those guys uh, did a great job. Guys and ladies did a great job. Uh, Shea's debut um, on... Um, lead comms uh, was everything we expected it to be. It was also an MX-5 victory in the Conti in the street tuner category. It is an MX-5 track. You alluded to that earlier on. But again, an emotional victory for Staff Sergeant Liam Dwyer, who, as you know, we've got a lot of time for here on Midweek Motorsport. A man who came back... um, (laughs) Not in the same way as the, he went out to fight for his country, um, but has not let that slow him down in any way, shape or form, pun entirely intended. He was reunited with the man who uh, saved him his life um, in battle, Sergeant uh, Aaron Denning at the weekend, and only went and won the race. And I bet not a dry eye in the house uh, for that podium ceremony, Marshall. No, uh, good lord, we were we were crying tears of red, white, and blue on Saturday, Heidi. Yeah, that, I, I told uh, I told the folks from IMSA, I told the folks from Mazda on Saturday. I don't care what happens tomorrow on Sunday. There's nothing that could possibly happen <laughs> in the Tudor Championship race that is going to surpass this for just pure awesomeness. Yep. Uh, amazing to see Sergeant Dwyer 
uh, prosthetic limb and all. Uh, his co-driver, uh, Andrew Carbonell, just some amazing work, amazing result at their home track. And those cars and that team have dominated the uh, street tuner class at, uh, at Laguna for many years. So not a surprise that they won, but uh, on a weekend where Mazda flew in, uh, Sergeant Denning, who was the person who uh, uh, effectively saved uh, Liam Dwyer's life, tended to him in the battlefield, uh, kept him stable uh, for them to airlift him out and um, you know deal with his loss of limb. After an IED explosion in Afghanistan, having him there, having him inviting him out, having him wave the uh, the green flag to start the race, mm-hmm. having him help the team during pit stops and then win. Uh, how's this? Seeing uh, I got a chance to speak with uh, Sergeant Denning. He's a gunny as well, mm-hmm. uh, machine, machine gun instructor. And those guys are just built like a brick uh, emotions of a brick i mean he was uh, you know i'm married to a marine i know that mindset he was every filled that stereotype every way possible seeing him crying on sunday hindy that told me how special the experience was for uh, for him uh, and i think a lot of people kind of keyed off of that to realize that wow uh, you could not ask for a, a better result uh, and it was a hard-fought victory last lap uh, pass uh, as well to win it should mention as well that uh, Robin Liddell and Andrew Davis won in the GS category uh, that's their second consecutive and the Stevenson Camaro really coming on strong here in the early part of the season and good to yeah. see not not I mean you know everybody works hard but is there a harder working team up and down pit lane uh, in in Conti I'm not sure and good to see Robin Liddell still leading that team and leading from the front yeah fantastic result for them and one of the rare occasions where the uh, the gs winner uh kind of took the back seat to mm. the uh the the press and interest surrounding the st winner but yeah absolutely uh, incredible performance by them uh that new camaro i i'm not a big muscle car guy but i would <laughs> definitely i would love one of those and you know the other thing i'll mention too hindy which is this is my first time really just spending a fair amount of time watching them the uh, the Blancpain Lamborghini Super Trofeo cars, yep. wow! Yeah, talk about some great racing. Not only do they look incredible, sound incredible, the quality of the racing was great. And uh, for any of the enterprising uh, Radio Le Mans listeners, if you want to go on the interwebs and look at the lap times yep. turned by those vehicles compared yep. to say some of the GTD cars, uh, I, I don't know. There's a part of me that says uh, maybe those need to be let into a GTD as well, because, wow. wow, those things are fun. Uh, quick final word, and um, uh, it needs to be fairly quick, but it is the month of May, so we've got to mention IndyCar and Indianapolis, and the month of May now starts with the Angie's List Grand Prix of Indianapolis on Saturday. Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it all starts uh, Thursday, and uh, the race is on Saturday. It's you know it's not what the traditionalists remember, but I quite like this idea uh, of the the road course being used in the build-up, and it it focuses people back on the Indianapolis 500, which you know the whole month of May had dropped away somewhat in in previous years. I, I think this works. I do too. Yeah, frankly, as soon as we uh, hang up here, Heidi, I'm having a sprint to the airport, and then I'll be I'll be in Indy for I think twelve or thirteen days through qualifying, come um, home for then back. So everything's good there. But yeah, I, I no one knew what to expect last year for the uh, Angeles Angie's List Grand Prix. Everyone expected it to be uh, just empty and a, a complete failure. 
it was the opposite. Lots of people showed up. A surprising amount of people showed up. The quality of the racing, I think, was extremely good. Uh, a few too many crashes, but hopefully some of that will get cleaned up this year. Just, to me, a very positive event. Again, quite a surprise. Positivity and IndyCar are two words that aren't often smashed together in a sentence. This was a positive kickoff to the month of May. And just the last thing I'll mention, it's still odd. Because I'm gonna get, I'll be on the ground tomorrow morning early, and I'm going to walk to the Indy 500 garages mm-hmm. and see Indy cars with high downforce wing packages. Yeah. And it's going to twist my brain, and then I'm going to watch the cars go the opposite direction down the front straight. It's going to twist my brain. We're going to race on Saturday, mm. finish up probably five or six p.m. by the time everybody gets out of there, and then we're going to be back the following morning. Genuinely, the next morning, and everyone's going to be going the call it the correct direction at 230 miles an hour. It's a really kind of crazy overnight switch from one to the other. No, I love it, and I I have got what is nominally called a weekend off, a weekend when I'm not at the uh, at the racetrack uh, this weekend, uh, unless I sneak away for some. And it's packed with World Superbikes, Grand Prix, of course, Formula One, and uh, that's in Spain, and of course the IndyCar. And somehow I've got to work out how. I can watch uh, all of those um, without A, getting underneath Eve's feet too much and um, and B, finding enough time to get out of the sofa uh, to exercise a, a little bit. Marshall, thank you very much. Enjoy your flight down to Indy and uh, the next couple of weeks. And we'll try and pick you off next Wednesday at Indy if we can. Um, but if not, we'll certainly speak to you before the great race. We've got to do our Indy 500 preview, of course, with Marshall Pro. Thanks, mate. Sounds like a plan, Heidi. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. And that's all we've got time for. Really? No no time for press release, pointless thing of the week, yeah? Uh, no pointless press release of the week, because uh, I haven't seen any press releases that were that pointless. Uh-huh. There's uh, quite a funny story involving Audi, but... Uh it's not a press release. Okay, <laughs> funny story rather than a press release. Uh, our thanks to all of our contributors tonight and all of our special guests. Next week, a uh, special programme because we're in the build-up to the Nürburgring 24, which is exclusively fully live here on Radio Le Mans uh, from, I guess, next Thursday, cars are on the track. Um, there the- indeed. Yeah. You can see uh, details on the website as to when we're live. Excellent stuff. And um, no time to explain then, because the llama's telling a funny story about an Audi. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.